Hi everyone, this is Paul Menig with Business Accelerants with our podcast discussing how business leaders can accelerate profitable growth to get more money from the business and more time for their lives. We dive into the trends driving business, the eight drivers of business value, and the seven forces to align for business success. Here with me today is Steve Miller of Hesita Group. Hesita is a famous lighthouse here in Oregon along the coast. Hesita's guiding light is the use of data technology to drive informed business decisions to accelerate business. Stephen is well qualified to talk with us. Looking at his background, over 30 years ago, Steve was working on cybersecurity for the Department of Defense. And for the last 17 years, he worked at IBM leading the acceptance of data science products and establishing the profession of data scientists in the industry and in academia around the world. Welcome, Steve. All right. Well, thank you. I'm really glad to be here. I appreciate you, the chance to uh, have this conversation. You bet. Um, that was a brief synopsis of your background, and I picked out you know, two little right. things. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background and the formation of Aceta Group? Okay. Aceta yeah. Group, sorry. Yeah. It's, it's great. The CETA Group is uh, we're we're a new uh, consultancy. There's three of us here in the Portland area with a broad background. Yeah, one of my partners is a former mm -hmm. Army Ranger, Ooh. right? Yeah. So another is uh, yeah, came here from France a number of years ago, and right. So he's super personable, and we're a great team. So really glad to uh, be reaching out to the area with the skills that we offer. What are the names of the other two All right, uh, people? So, yeah, so Dr. David Reed and Dan Nicolet. Okay, now you told us, so one of those is the French guy and one is the yeah. Army guy? Yeah. All right, yeah. okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. David Reed, uh, when he, after leaving the Army, went and got his PhD in computer science. Okay. And he spent a number of years in the local area you know, serving ma major clients, including the company he used to work for, Daimler Truck. Okay, great. Um, the first question we talked about is, uh, I run across at least the term big data many times, deep learning as I talk about autonomous vehicles for instance. Mm -hmm. uh, I was spending a lot of time looking at mesh control of lighting right now with a new uh, thing called Bluetooth mesh uh, capability which is all about the Internet of Things. So these terms are being bandied about and it seems to be an important trend for companies to the idea to have data and then do something with it. Um, do you have some examples where in your experience there have been some quantifiable results that came from delving deep into this uh, area of data science? Yeah, well, I think there's a number of examples that will you know, potentially resonate with people. So if you are from Portland and you use TriMet to get around. TriMet you know, partnered with Google back in 2005 to create the what was then the Google Transit spec and now they changed it to the general you know, spec afterwards so we get more broad acceptance. But that allowed Google to add you know, bus and rail schedules into their mapping and then after a number of years down they started putting sensors on the buses so they knew where they're at any given time. So then it became the real-time transit spec, mm -hmm. right? So now they know, you know, where the bus is they, and you can make a decision. Do I need to be at the bus stop right on time or is it five minutes behind? And I can just kind of dilly-dally, right? Or so I can make decisions like it's better to walk. If I go to New York City to travel, 
oftentimes I have a number of choices. I can go to all the hassle of finding the subway station and going and getting there, or I can walk. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes walking in New York City is just faster. Yes. <laughs> it's amazing, right? But you can, it'll give you those options. Walking is this long, you know, taking a taxi is that long. But when TriMet started that yeah. process, were they being um, really nice and saying we want our passengers to be able to make decisions? Or were they looking for something that would optimize their cost of delivering the service? Well, I, I, I would be, I bet they were looking at both, but they were really, when, when you read the, uh, the, the articles that they've written on it, it was really about providing better customer service and it was about the customer. Okay, so the, so the, the quantifiable thing would have been an equivalent maybe to their net promoter score or if they're doing a survey you know, of their clients, of right. the people riding the bus, you know, how right. well have we served you yeah. kind of thing. And you know, the amazing thing about that is a lot of, there still are you know, systems around the world that are resistant to joining because they treat that this is our data, it's not data we give away. But those barriers are dropping, and there's now nearly a thousand different systems around the world that share their data that are part of it. So if you go overseas, and it's like, wow, you know, the, 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 the system in Paris is part of it. I know what's going on. Okay, go so by, by system, you mean the uh, transit public yeah, yeah, uh, the options but that public might be transit there. data, yeah. It's, okay. it's, it's, Train schedules, train bus schedules, schedules, bus schedules, ride share capabilities, bike share capabilities. Right, it's all getting added in, right? So the data, open data, right? There's a growing recognition that that, that government data really is not secret data. In some cases, it certainly is, but in most cases, it needs to be given back to the people. And TriMet here help really help drive an exciting trend forward that's taken over across the entire world. Okay, so. Part of your whole uh, company's uh, reason for existing is the idea that you turn data into money somewhere. That's right. Okay, so if we look at this situation, so the government, which we pay for you know, to some degree, decides, oh, we're going to give away all our information for free. But by the time it got back to me, the bus rider, I suspect somebody in there in that process is making money. It might be... Uh, they sell me an app for 99 cents on my iPhone, or they don't sell me anything, but they force me to look at ads, and so I become a, a way. So right. what, what can you tell us about that example of where yeah. people are making money? Well, if you look at it from Google's perspective, right, it's yet another piece of data that they now know about you if you're using their service, mm -hmm. right? They know where you're at, they know where you wanna go, Right, and they collect all of that data, and they can then infer different things about you as a person based on that data, right? And you can go to Google today. There's a way to ask them to, hey, I want to see everything you have about me. And so I put in that request a couple of weeks ago, I, and the, we came back. It was 50 gigabytes, oh. and I actually needed to go buy a new drive. So I decided I'd pass on it at that moment. But if I ever, and if I really wanted to spend the hours to go figure out what, what that 50 gigabytes really is, but that's what Google knows about me just because I use Gmail and I use Google Maps and I use YouTube and I use all these services. They know a lot about us, right? And that's enabling them to provide stronger, better services to people. But it's also potentially a bit unnerving that so much of what we might think about ourselves is 
is actually known. I, th I think that was yeah. part of a Senate hearing or a House <laughs> hearing last week, wasn't right. it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. You know, Facebook got, got pulled into that, right? Yeah. And you know, so they, through the, for a number of years, they were making their social map available to people to just to grab it. And then they came back and said, well, maybe we, that was not such a good thing. And from, from their point of view, it was, it was not a good thing for two reasons. It gave them bad press. But the other reason it was they actually realized that they can profit from that data if they, especially if they don't give it away. Yeah. Right. So they still have all that information, and they're but they're going to profit, right? So if a candidate wants to come in and reach all those people the same way that uh, the other people were doing it, that's still going to happen. But they're just going to pay Facebook, hmm. right? So Facebook wins, right? There's there's this temporary little um, fluster. Right, it's unfortunate you know, that that they got called up in front of the Congress, but they're just going to make continue to make more money because that data is not going anywhere. But I what I would expect that uh, advertisers are going to be paying money to pay Facebook as well, and they're going to make money based on the information they get, so that they can target the ads better, that they can improve their product offerings, right. or whatever it is. So a lot of people are going to be making money yeah. off of that free data that we mm -hmm. pay for with our tax date dollars, right? Yeah, for free data or the data that we volunteer, yes. right? Just think about all the businesses that have been built on data that we freely give to them. TripAdvisor, right? Our reviews, we happily type our reviews in. We don't get paid for it. LinkedIn, right? We type in our resumes. We don't get paid for that. And we want to get value from the data we put in. We have to pay them money to get value back, hmm. right? So there's lots of businesses like that. Right, and sometimes sometimes they're based around habits, right, or hobbies rather than habits. Maybe it's both. But uh, I love to drink really good beer, right? So I use an, an app called Untapped, mm -hmm. and I can check into the beers I drink. I can rate them. I have friends on there, and we toast each other's drinks. I can see how other people rate beers, and it's amazing. That's just a capturing a hobby of mine in a really cool way. Did, did I just hear I can l virtually clink glasses or something yeah. on, on your app? Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Interesting. Uh, I, I clinked glasses with my wife last night at dinner, so <laughs> yeah, we didn't go. do it virtually though. Right. Um, I would expect that a lot of companies, when they hear the word analytics, the first thing they think of is the word Google before analytics right. because we were talking, I just got an email yeah. today, asking me to, I, I've actually I haven't read it, but it probably says they want to pay me to pay them some money to be able to get some analytics uh, uh, from them. What, what right. comments do you have about uh, Google and analytics? Well, yeah, Google's uh, you know, been uh, at the forefront on the web of really helping, you know, A, monetize it, but also B, you know, helping people see what's actually happening. And when, when Google first came out, they would record the search patterns in your log request. So you could go, and if you wanted to find out why were people coming to your website, you could just go to your own log, right? And that's how you get it. But over time, Google realized that they were leaving money on the table, so they stopped writing that data there. And you would have to go to the Google site to try to get it. And the way they would do that is, oh, you want that information? You can get it kind of, you can still get it, but it's going to be kind of delayed by a month or so. You can go to Webmaster Tools. You can see what are the most common searches that are bringing people to your site. But if you want it now, you really want to see what's happening right now, you know, we're monetizing that through the Google AdWords platform. And you're going to choose which keywords that you want people to bring in there too. You can also choose what keywords you don't want to include. 
because oftentimes when you have a business, right, it's like we have our business name also overrides a bit with the White House on the coast, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't want to be, if we're choosing to advertise, you know, we would have a negative keyword for Lighthouse, for example, because that we don't want to be paying for, uh -huh. for, because okay. somebody was looking for the Lighthouse, not mm -hmm. for us, right? So it's, it's extremely powerful. And the more traffic you have, they're, they're including the ability to look at age and to look at where you live, um, you know, um, if they know whether you're married or not, right? So you can do a really incredible search parameters based on who do you want to target. Mm -hmm. You can do the same thing on Facebook, incredible targeting of who you want to reach, who you do not want to reach. And for the marketer, that's gold because in the past, you would choose, okay, well, I want to advertise on the local TV station. And maybe they would give you some control over which shows to have your ad run on. And then you'd have to make some educated bets. Well, who watches that show? Okay, so it's, it's, a, it's the local football team. So you've got a pretty good idea who's going to be watching the Ducks play. And you know, you, you just probably just ruled out all the Beavers fans, right? <laughs> but at least you got to the Ducks fans, right? And yeah. you could advertise there. And you can be able to make some money. But you still really don't really know whether they're after your product or not. So it's the huge difference between advertising the old way through these broader channels where you don't really know who you're reaching, you kind of know, to being able to very fine tune who's going to see your message. And you're going to know whether they took action or not. Did they, they'll give you numbers like how many views it got. They'll tell you how many people clicked through on it. You can see what pages they visited after they came to your site. All this detail is incredible for the marketer to understand how are people responding to your messaging. And if you're an e-commerce site, you can really get down even deeper into yeah. amazing we're, detail. We're, we're sitting, uh, we're recording this in a library right now. And outside of our room here is the, the typical rack of magazines. And right. as you were talking, I'm thinking what we didn't have for data when it's just a magazine subscription, we know that so-and-so of a certain age at a certain address subscribed to this magazine. And I don't know about yeah. you, but when I subscribed to magazines, they just tended to pile up and up <laughs> and up. And I never got around to reading them. And if I looked at them, you know, maybe I paused for, what, a fraction of a second on a page right. maybe to look at it. But now we know whether or not yeah. I paused for 30 uh, yeah, milliseconds, maybe. Yeah, you have a lot more knowledge about how much time they're spending there. You know, if, if it's a long time, you don't really know if they got up to go for, you know, get some fresh cup of coffee. But if they come back and they're still there, right, and they continue to take action, right, you're, you're learning things. The other things that they can do with some of these technologies is they can do heat maps, right, where they can see what pay, part of the page are people actually looking at. Right, so that's okay, when amazing. You said, when you said heat map, I came up with a different thing in my head yeah. because of my work with autonomous vehicles and right. image sensors mm -hmm. and cameras. But I understand what yeah. you're saying. You could actually, in right. the future, with a VR and uh, reality type things, if we have them, they're actually going to be able to tell where on the page. Right. You're saying they can do that now? Absolutely. How, how do they do well, that? Well, what they tend to do with these is they'll have, they'll bring some people in and do a test of where they're doing. Yeah. Right. And you can you can kind of more subtly do it if you have a page that gets a lot of traffic. You can you can build your own heat maps based on what where they click and where they don't click on the site. Okay. So you can you can do it that way, but you could also do it 
Well, by having a camera watching the person and watching okay, so how their eyes Okay, so it's not to the try. point where I'm sitting at my den and my, my mouse is hovering over, my cursor is hovering over something and right. I know where I'm hovering right now. Right. At least not yet. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> In some cases they may be doing that, but that would tremendously slow down the website, right? Okay. So. So, you, so you use the word uh, putting money on the, they're leaving money on the table. Um, let's go back to talking about monetizing data, which okay. is what one of the things that uh, your company is about, both making an informed decision, but also uh, how to monetize the data that you might be creating. So Google, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, what are some of the things they're doing today to monetize data? Well, I mean, LinkedIn is a, is a great opportunity, one, because a lot of people are more familiar with you know, what they can and can't do with the platform, right? So they have the data and you want to make yourself available to recruiters, right? So you can spend $39, right? And when you do that, then the recruiters will then know that you're available. Recruiters can search based on keywords that, that filter based on your profile. And then so they can go, okay, I'm looking for somebody with these skills that lives in the Pacific Northwest or ideally in Portland. And they can do that search. They're paying for it. So that's the, the data that we gave LinkedIn for free becomes this powerful tool for the people that are paying to use it or for the, or for even for the job hunter that wants extra access, mm -hmm. right? So there's one way to monetize it, right? And, and what we were talking before we started the recording is I think LinkedIn's leaving money on the table today because there's things that people want to be able to do with their platform that they don't allow people to do it for. If you, if you branch out of using LinkedIn just as a tool for job hunting and think about ways just to connect people together, there's no easy way to do that today, right? So if I wanted to, it's a real world example, right? So my college hockey team was competing in the national championship last month, which, well, they won. Yay. But we wanted, I wanted to get all of the, 275 you know, graduates from my school in the Portland area, a message on LinkedIn so that they could come and be aware that we were having a watch party and they could come. It's not possible on LinkedIn unless they're all your friends. And if they're all your friends, you have to go to every one of their profiles to get their email. And it, you know, that would be many, many hours of work. And just, but, Imagine if I would be willing to spend for that one invite, hey, would I pay 10 bucks to get that message out? Yeah, right? That would be an awesome way for me to mm -hmm. reach all those people with a message, hey, we're having a watch party, Yeah. right? And impossible because they don't offer that as a service. Okay. And I think Facebook has similar things where small businesses would greatly benefit from much more fine-grained targeting than they make available. Yeah, I, I had a thought as we were looking at our notes and as you were talking, uh, you're from uh, Minnesota and I'm from Michigan, and I, I've dealt in the transportation industry with uh, quote unquote the big three for a good deal of my life. And so the big three have, you know, it's sort of changed because Chrysler was part of Daimler and then it's now part of Fiat, but we still tend to think in the United States about the big three of uh, Chrysler, uh, Ford, and GM. Uh, but it occurs to me up there, we have the, the big three of data, which is Google, LinkedIn, and Facebook. <laughs> so there's a new big three out there. Yeah, or they add Amazon in there, right? And, oh, yes. Uh, now they call it Fang. Netflix, they call it Fang. Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, Fang. 
Ah, right, and, and it, I, that that's an uh, an apt metaphor, I think, <laughs> for what they're be. doing, taking a bite out of us uh, in some cases. <laughs> right. Okay, so um, what are some cool things that are being done with with data science that you see now? I know we talked yeah. a little earlier about Watson. You're probably closer to that than right. anybody that I personally know, uh, but I'm very yeah. impressed with the technology. Right. Yeah. So on the more advanced side, right? So things that. IBM or other researchers are doing with the ability to, you know, to do healthcare with with deep learning techniques. It's just amazing what they're doing, right? So they're actually finding that they can program a computer to read MRIs or to read other scans mm -hmm. for bone breaks better than humans, right? It took a lot of humans to help train it to make that happen, and you still need a doctor to actually advocate that it's correct, right? Because the way the whole system is set up in our world is that the computers don't make the decisions, they advise the human. And the human still has to make the final call. But it's pretty quite amazing, right? And they're doing the same thing in a lot of this advanced applying to cancer care. So there's a great example that they've been finding that if you have a really, really rare cancer and they can't figure that out, oftentimes by the time they figure it out, you're, at your, you're on your last days, weeks of your life. Because if you spent a lot of money on all the other techniques treating what they thought you had, but they didn't know what you really had. So if they could actually figure out that you have this really rare form of cancer in the, in the, in the first time you get diagnosed, that, that'll improve lifespans because you actually got to that person's problem right away. It also improves their quality of life during that time. And it dramatically reduces the cost of healthcare because instead of squandering huge amounts of money chasing the wrong thing, they could actually go, oh, this was a really rare leukemia yeah. that requires this specific treatment. Yeah, I've, I've, I've read things in, in, in that area of the medical because early in my career, I worked on the first breast scanner detection circuitry okay. at General Electric uh, Research. Uh, so I tend to naturally look at those types of things. But uh, I see two things that they're... Uh, putting forward for the benefit of that. One is uh, you get the results faster because the computers are readily available. It doesn't have to wait for the radiologist to come in and be available to look at something. And then secondly, right. it has been proven to be more accurate. And sometimes, as you say, in, in these things that a doctor may not have ever yeah. seen, the computer's been exposed to it. And so it's been able to make right. some uh, diagnoses that would have allowed somebody right. to die earlier. Yeah, and a lot of times today the, the radiologist doesn't have to come in, right? If yeah. something's important that needs their decision, right, they're doing it from the, their house, yeah. right? And so that you know, totally changes, right? If they want to see five different radiologists, I'll look at it because there's not quite clear, right? Five different radiologists all over the world can look at that mm -hmm. and score it and make them come back, right? Yeah. So you know, data is very powerful. So that, that's a good segue into this other uh, discussion about uh, when you try to sell the idea that data is going to be a better way of making decisions, you have to present it to some business people. Right. Now, we just talked about doctors. I, I can imagine mm -hmm. that doctors are, um, well, you know, push up their breast, only I can do this, you know, I'm, I'm the one that has uh, all the training and everything else and a computer can't do this as well. Right. And then I, I tend to see, and it's just a hypothesis, that a lot of business leaders come from a DISC personality of I for influence, 
rather than the people who are data-oriented right. that would be in the, the C kind of category. Uh, just because business leaders are dealing a lot more with people and so they have to be strong on people skills. So what, what are some of the things you're seeing as you try to present data to business people uh, or doctors or other right. uh, people who want the data and um, how do you get the, them to accept that data is a better way? Yeah, so there's a, of course, there's a number of obstacles there, right? So we'll use machine learning as an example, right? So machine learning is rarely about giving you an exact, precise answer. It's about making a prediction, right? So you have a hypothesis. It's going to do a, a lot of math behind the scenes. And it's going to say, you know, 80, 90% of the time, right, this is the right answer, right? But there's always some fuzz, right? <laughs> So a lot of business owners, they don't quite get the fuss. They want that precise thing, mm -hmm. right? And, but it's really about the long game, right? If you, if you make the 90% bet, most of the time you're going to win. Some 10% of the time you're going to lose. That's going to be okay. But that's a, a game changer in how you look at things that people aren't used to, right? They're used to going, this has always worked. I'm going to do this. They also are having to deal with... Uh, an analyst who generally have a very different personality type, right? And they're not necessarily that great at selling that idea <laughs> or telling the story or even really properly informing that, you know, here's where the, you know, here's where, here's where this model isn't great, right? Here's where the risks are, right? And the manager or the decision maker then has to make a bet, right? Yeah. And what you find is you have to look at it over time that the, the total set of decisions, it will favor the data science approach, but you won't be right all the time, right? There is no perfect answer out there. It's mm -hmm. getting better and better, and as these algorithms get stronger and the more data you have, but there's always some quite if, right? Yeah. So if you've seen like some of these things like deep learning techniques or image recognition, the cat, not cat, right? And it's, it's most of the time it's right. But sometimes you find some other cat and it's, the picture's at a weird angle or it's, and it'll go, oh, that's not a cat, right? But it actually was a cat, right? So that's where having a, a human weighing in on these is oftentimes really important. Um, I had something in my head, now I just lost it, that happens. Um, let's talk about sports. We all love sports and, and I often use uh, I talk about uh, what's your game plan, which is your, your plan to grow and make earnings with your right. company. Um, sports is all about winning, but not necessarily, because winning creates more people who pay to come to see you, and so there is money somewhere right. in the process. But um, what are some ways you're seeing people apply data analytics to sports? Oh, there's a so tremendous, right? So if you've watched uh, Moneyball, right, and you watch the transformation and early transformation of analytics in baseball, right, they started realizing that some of the things that they would think of as important that had been like, this is why we've always done it, right? We've always cared about who gets the most hits, right? And all of a sudden, they real it was just like, well, now maybe it's actually more important that they get on base somehow, some way. We don't care how they get on, right, whether it's a hit whether it's a walk, whether it's a bulk, right? <laughs> yeah, they got on base, right? And the people that get on base more often than others are actually more valuable than the people who are 
They're okay. always swinging for the fences. Okay, so that short guy that has a very small strike zone <laughs> just got better than that six foot four guy <laughs> who has a huge strike zone and keeps striking out, but occasionally gets those home runs. Right, yeah. So those home runs are certainly very exciting. And oftentimes, if the people before him are the ones that have a high chance of getting on, you know, those home runs become much more valuable because it's a it's, it's three runs, it's four runs. Oh, okay. Right? So, right. yeah. So there's different ways to look at it, but they're looking at so many more things now because now you know, they can measure you know, like heat, like right what earlier about heat maps and how people yeah. look at a screen. Now they're doing heat maps with players on the floor, right? So they can look at... We're talking basketball or hockey now. Basketball or hockey. Okay. Right? Not baseball. I mean, there's not yeah. much heat, I don't think, to baseball players. Yeah, no, but you know, but but it's more about you know where does the action happen, right? Where are the shots taken over a course of the game, right? Yeah. And where are the shots that are taken? Where where are they going in from? Mm -hmm. Right. So they'll know with a lot of data that's collected over a long period of time. You know, they can if we make these plays, our chances of scoring a goal in hockey, for example, are going to go up. Yeah. Right. And you see a lot more acceptance of skilled players in, in professional hockey than you used to 10, 15 years ago. Part of it, they say it's about the rules, that they change the rules, and they have. They've, they know a lot, they, they penalize pretty heavily now mm -hmm. certain things that they at least have let go on. The old joke, I went to a fight and a hockey game broke out. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Now, that's no longer the case, right? But now you go and you see these incredible skilled players like Crosby from Pittsburgh, and it's like he's always in the right place at the right time. Right, and they'll say it's hockey sense, it's that. Well, but I, there's a lot of other factors about teaching the team how to, how to get the puck to Sydney when he's in the right spot. Mm -hmm. well, one of the things that I talk about is the forces and the government rules being one. So uh, not too many years ago, they changed the NBA rules to allow this three-point. And I, I've read some numbers or some articles recently that talk about how that has dramatically changed because they've been doing the statistics to figure out what's going on and further, the best coaches out there seem to, if you will, they, let's say they finish a game on Sunday night and they know they're going to play another team on Wednesday. They do, they've had a data scientist, if you will, looking at videos and figuring out what this new team that they're playing with, what they are doing. Are they shooting inside? Are they shooting outside? Are they you know, this player or that player? And then they will create a strategic game plan for that game on Wednesday night that says, okay, we're going to cover you with this player and we're yeah. going to do this because we know that's their preferred way of operating. If you, I assume you've seen yeah. that too. Yeah, there's a lot of that, right? And just, and it's amazing it took this long to, for people to realize it, but a three-pointer is worth 50% more than a two-pointer, <laughs> right? And now, they, they, instead of having one person on the team that specializes in shooting threes, they want five or six guys that specialize in shooting threes. Mm -hmm. And a couple of people that can collect rebounds in the center, right? And, yeah. And that's why it seems like Golden State are so tough to beat because they went and recruited the whole team that can shoot threes and, and nail them at amazing rates. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's it's kind of fun to watch. And, you know, but other teams are starting to change too. But it, it takes time, right? Mm -hmm. And there just aren't that many great three-point shooters. So they're, they're well. There's there's, there's going to be more. Be, there's and going more. to be more. Okay. A lot, of, a lot of kids are out there playing uh, dog and <laughs> getting better at it. That's right. So uh, we're coming to the end of what we uh, have available today. So uh, in less than a minute, what would you say is the most important thing that you want business people to take away from our conversation today? 
Uh, I think there's uh, three big ideas about data that you, know, you should be thinking about. One is it's, you, know, you can use data to transform your business operations. Um, to UPS is a great story that's been out for a while where they use data to transform the routes that they had their drivers take. And that over time, um, that if they, every driver a day is driving eight miles less or some number of miles less, and you start adding up, we got drivers all over the world. And if you can just make tiny little changes in how many miles a day they drive, has massive changes in their bottom line. So the projection is that they're saving like a half billion dollars a year just by finding creative ways to reduce the amount of t driving that they do to deliver the same packages, mm -hmm. right? So every business is going to have things like that where it, does, it seems like a small amount, but when you add it up and add it up and add it up, all of a sudden at the end of the year, it's a lot of money. So that's a great example of right, how do you optimize your business operations. Okay. Another one is, can I create a whole new line of product around with my data, right? So if you look at you know, what Google was doing, right, with you know, initially it was just a search engine, right? But then they keep adding all these new capabilities to it, right? We've got this data, how can we more create new lines of profit from it, right? So we've got AdWords, we've got Gmail Professional, Right, that it brings your business together, right? And they just keep adding on, right? So or you look at the TriMet example I gave earlier. Hey, we've got all this data about our buses. Can we, can our, our customers profit from that, right? So you've got data in your business. You might be able to create a whole new adjunct line of set of data and on top of your product. So your product wants from being a commodity to a solution because you're using that data in creative ways to repackage and reframe how you're selling it. Mm -hmm. So those are the two of the big That's two, and what's the right. third? Right, so the third one is changing the whole customer experience. And what we've seen with, in some cases, was what Amazon is oftentimes gets called out very creatively for the things they're doing to change customer experience. Right, so they're using data and a collection of data to decide what are the products that we need to have in our warehouse so that locally, so that we, you can order it and have it delivered in two hours, mm. right? So the customer experience is, ah, oh, man, this is something I need to have it today, right now. And what are those sets of things I need to have in the warehouse and what things don't have to be there because people aren't gonna be as needy for that. And they keep collecting that data, collecting that data, seeing the action, and changing the whole customer experience, right? I can get it in a day, I can get it in two hours, or whatever you want it to be, right? So how can you transform the customer experience with data? Okay, so, so three things I'm hearing. One, you can optimize your own operations to reduce costs, uh, primarily. Two, you can create new revenue streams of new products that come from having looked at the data that you have. And three, you can transform or disrupt industries by finding new things to do to improve the customer right. experience. Right, and the one thing I would add that we didn't talk about is you don't necessarily have to have the data yourself. Oftentimes you can go out and get the data from somebody else, okay. right? So you can obtain it, right? So if you need weather data to make just better decisions because on Tuesday, your shop sells more of you know, more donuts, 
right? When it rains, mm -hmm. right? You know, that weather data is helpful, yeah. right? But you need to know that historical data and, and tomorrow's raining, so I'm gonna have a slightly different set of products on the shelf for that day, and I'll make a little bit more money. So it's all about, you know, that, those extra pennies add up. It, it, interesting. So we had dinner last night on a patio, and it was the soup was gazpacho soup because great, it was eighty-five degrees yesterday or right. something, <laughs> really unusual. And then the day before, we had a white bean soup uh, at a restaurant, and it was again still eighty degrees. And we said it would have been a better dip for a winter soup <laughs> that day. So there's a good example where you could have data and modify right. what you're doing. Yep. So Steve, how can people get a hold of you? Well, no, two ways. You can send me an email, steve at Hasita Group, H-E-C-E-T-A group.com, or you can go to Hasita Group.com and fill in the contact form, and that we'll love to have a conversation. Okay, great. Thanks, everybody.